Welcome to episode 56 of the Women of the Military podcast. This is also the first episode of season two and the first episode in 2020. I'm excited to have you here and if you haven't had a chance to listen to the episodes that were part of season one, you need to go back to Women of the Military on your favorite podcast app and go find episodes one through 55. We ended the year by talking about the top five down downloaded episodes of 2019. So if you're trying to figure out which ones you should start with, that would be a great place to go look. Today, I'm interviewing Nicole. She served in the Navy on active duty and in the reserves. And she talked a lot about what it was like to grow up living overseas and then going to the Naval Prep School and then the Naval Academy and then serving while being separated from her boyfriend and then spouse and then being stationed together, and then separating, and all the things that she's done since she left the military. So we went from why she joined, what she did while she was in the Navy, and then why she decided to leave, and what she's doing today. This is a great episode, and I'm excited for you to be here, so let's dive right in. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Nicole Terraway is a lieutenant and an intelligence officer in the Navy Reserves in Nashville, Tennessee. She completed eight and a half years of active duty service in the electronic warfare community and earned her master's degree in organization leadership before building the next chapter of her life as a certified life coach, weight coach, and fitness coach. Welcome to the show, Nicole. I'm excited to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. I'm happy to be here. Let's start with the first question of why did you decide to join the military? I joined because I wanted to do something similar to what my mom had done. She worked for the Foreign Service. She was a consular officer. So she worked for the State Department for decades. And we traveled overseas a lot. Like I grew up overseas because we would, she would take jobs at posts in like El Salvador or Chile or the Dominican Republic or Bolivia. And she loved traveling and she loved people. She loved working with people. So I always thought it would be cool to do something that she did where like she worked really hard, but she always came back with like really fun stories about, you know, these new people she met, even though they were applying for visas to go to the United States, like just hearing how hard they'd worked just to get a meeting at the consular section at the consulate, I'm sorry, at the American embassy to sit with her and talk to her, like was inspiring to her. And she'd bring those stories back home to us. So when it was time for me to go to college or start thinking about college and where I wanted to go, she actually just suggested, why don't you go to a military academy? And I was like, what's that? (laughs) I applied and I got into the prep schools for, I think, Air Force, West Point and the Naval Academy. And I just chose the Naval Academy uh, prep school and then rest is history. And I did kind of get to do what she did, travel and meet people and do kind of military government work, which I had grown up 
with and was used to and I liked it. So that's why I joined. So can you talk a little bit about what the difference between someone who gets accepted to the prep school and someone who would just get accepted straight into the Naval Academy? Yeah, they don't tell you that. And we all ask it. (laughs) I think there were so for example, the prep schools, a lot of prior enlisted men and women go to the prep school because they've been out of high school for a few years. So it's kind of like a reculturization into like the study mode and the focus on what you're learning. I think I had to go because I grew up overseas my whole life. And the only time I was actually in the United States would be when my mom had, you know, home leave every couple of years. So we'd come back to Maryland where my grandmother was to visit and buy a ton of supplies that we take back with us for two years because countries we were living in were very poor. I think I had to go to the prep school the, or I think why they selected me to go to the prep school was because they knew I had no idea what American culture <laughs> was like. Like I, I knew everything about like all the countries I'd lived in, but I think they felt it was better if I spent a year not completely immersed in, in the, like the full spectrum of the academy and like into the workload, not just in studying, but in physical fitness and then leadership development. They're like, let's give her <laughs> a chance, send her to the prep school, see how she does there. And I did pretty well. So I think that's why they sent me, they recommended the prep school before straight into the academy. It was a good thing too, because I'd never like, for example, it was culture shock for me. Like I didn't know what American football was. I knew what soccer was. I knew that kind of football. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't, I'd never seen snow before. I'd never, there were some things that were so natural to like, just so like the customs were just so obvious to everyone except to me. So I think I, I really, I'm really grateful that I had that year to <laughs> assimilate and acclimate and really kind of like recognize myself, like take on the identity. Like, yes, I was born in DC. I was I'm an American. I didn't feel like an American necessarily because I didn't grow up in America. So I needed that year to me take on that identity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I found out about the prep school when I was in the Air Force because one of the guys that, or the lieutenants that I was with, he went to the prep school and I was like, I didn't even know that was an option. So that's really cool that you're talking about that being an option and a way to go to the academies. Well, I didn't know it was an option. They told me that was my option. (laughs) At least there is that option that exists. Like they wanted me. They just didn't want me to burn out within the first year. They knew that I needed a little extra help. And I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense, especially not growing up in the United States and having just a different way of thinking and just a different and just to be able to have the year to transition. What would you say the year at the prep school is like compared to the first year at the academy? How were they different and how are they the same? It's you're an E1 when you're at the prep school and then you're a midshipman. So when you're at the Naval Academy, um, well, you're a plebe really, like you're less than nothing, right? So, but when you're in the prep school, you do have, you have like a few weeks of in-doc, you know, which is kind of like, you know, plebe summer, or, you know, boot camp. It's their version of boot camp. And what I loved about the prep school was that it was our own little unit. I mean, there were about a hundred of us, I think, maybe more. Actually, there were definitely more than that, but we weren't as large of a class as we were at the Naval Academy. So we were really close and we had a lot of prior enlisted who were the best of the best when in their unit before they got accepted. So they were really kind of like guides for us who were just coming out of high school. And they really kind of took us on wing and kind of explained what the fleet was like, what real active duty life was like. And then when we got to the Naval Academy, it was culture shock for all of us, including the prior enlisted because and because we were expecting, 
you know, we were leveling up. So we were expecting something more fleet, like more active duty, like more serious. But then no, that was straight on. It was a different kind of level. It was, yes, there's leadership development. It was its own world. It was, you had to kind of readjust your way of thinking into instead of like figuring out the best solution for something and being a team, like you needed to think that way, but you also needed to excel on your own, be competitive with yourself as far as like studies, as far as like physical fitness tests and whatever sport you were in and professional development and like taking leadership positions, whether it's with drill or with, you know, running your company. So it was like, you know, that fire hose effect, like it was like that for four years. (laughs) You're like, I think NAPS doesn't, or the prep school doesn't prepare you for that necessarily. It just really tries to bridge that gap between where you were to where you're almost at the same level as every high schooler going straight into the academy. That's a good way to explain it. And that's kind of interesting to think. It's not like, oh, it made it the next year. It made it easier because you had made that transition, but it wasn't like you were like, oh yeah, I'm ready for this. I can totally handle it. It was, yeah. So that's really, (laughs) that's interesting. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your time on active duty? What did you do? Yeah, I after the Naval Academy, I actually I actually got selected at the Naval Academy to be a naval flight officer, but I was doing so poorly with the IFS program, which is the I think introductory flight screening. So before you go to Pensacola for flight school, at least from the Naval Academy, you have to go through I think it's like a 12 week no I can't remember. It's like 12 sessions of learning how to fly a little Cessna, learning like simple basics of aviation. And I was doing really poorly at that. And I was terrified because I was like, if I'm doing poorly in IFS, and it was around the time 2009 when they were like kicking aviators left and right because there were just too many of them in Pensacola. And I was like, I'm going to be an easy choice to kick out because I wasn't doing well in this IFS program. So I asked to redesignate to Intel. Fortunately, I got selected for that because I think because I was really good in political science. That was my major. I was really good in the social studies. I spoke two languages. I minored in Spanish. I mean, I grew up in Latin America, so I kind of had to. <laughs> but it was the best choice for me because after that, I I was sent to Intel school in Damneck, Virginia for about six months. I think it was like five months. And then I got sent to Naval Air Station Whidbey Islands for my first division officer tour. And that was also my first deployment. <laughs> it was, you know, it's like the Naval Academy all over again, where it's like, they just like fire hose, just take it in. You know, you just try to do your best. And that was electronic warfare because the squadron I was with was a Prowler squadron. They don't exist anymore. Like they decommissioned them, if you will. To me, they're one of the coolest platforms because they're so, they're like silent executioners. Like they just jam things. You know, you don't see big explosions, but they're kind of comparable to submarines in my mind, which is kind of what my husband did. You know, you don't see a submarine coming and then you're kind of done, right? (laughs) Too late when you do. Yeah. So I actually stayed in Woodby Island for two tours, two back-to-back tours. I did my um, deployment, my first tour. What What was your deployment? It was, I was on board the, a carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln, which is a CVN 72, lovingly dubbed, they're lovingly called the uh, stinking Lincoln. uh, (laughs) It was like I'd never been on a moving city before and it was incredible. But um, you have the, the, the workup cycle prior to it, which is even harder than the deployment. I think the hardest part about deployment is just the distance from people back home and not having that communication as readily available as it used to. But yeah, so after my first tour, I stayed there for another tour as the department head for the intelligence department at the Electronic Attack Weapons School. And that was a lot of fun. And then I got 
sense of Pearl Harbor because my I'd gotten married by then and my husband got orders there. And so that was our first time being co-located, which was really nice. So that was, and then I got out. I did three tours and got out. How did you meet your husband? We met plebe year at the Naval Academy. We're one of those 2% club, whatever they call it. Oh, I forgot that. But um, yeah, we met there and he was, God, so smart. <laughs> he was an oceanography major and a sprint football player. And we had the same group of friends and we we're always hanging out. And I think our end of our junior year, he asked me out and we dated for like five years just because we weren't together the entire time, right? It was just Skype and phone calls. Even after we got married, he immediately, like a week later, went on a three-month deployment, came back, and then a month later got sent to Pearl Harbor. So, and I followed suit 10 months later. So we're really good at long distance. <laughs> Our fights are really <laughs> stupid. We just, we don't, like, we only had like some weekends together, if that, and anytime we fight, like they last like two seconds because we're like, this is not worth our time. We have two days together. Let's not spend half of one day fighting. So, and so anyone, if anyone there is in a long distance, like dual military relationship, just communicate every day just even if it's just a high that's all right. you need i think that's good advice i remember when i was deployed we would like talk once a week but we would email a, like almost every day just yeah. to communicate back and forth and communication so important so when you got to pearl harbor you did your one tour and then you got out mm -hmm. and why did you decide to get out of the military my husband, so that was Pearl Harbor for one is paradise. I don't know if you've ever been, but you need to go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it really is. I, I don't think we would have gone there on our own if the military hadn't sent us. So we're really grateful that we had that opportunity while still in active duty. And but while we were there, it was our first time after dating for so many years of actually living under one roof. And we had the best time. Like he was there for four years because his command let him extend for a year so that his end of tour would match my end of tour dates, which was really awesome. He worked for the Navy SEALs, like the SDV, the SEAL delivery vehicle team. So they're a little more flexible than some of the other units. Either way, we spent three years, our first three years kind of, of marriage together, first time living together in Hawaii, like blocks from Kailua Beach with rainbows every day, even if it didn't rain and like sunshine and waves and palm trees and the mountains and waterfall. We're like, we just had the most amazing time. We had so much fun and we were starting to make plans for or our next house, like, would we, we wanted a dog, we wanted a yard. And, and we're like, yeah, but if we, you know, my next tour for me was going to be probably in DC. And for him, it would probably be somewhere in like Georgia, maybe some submarine base. And we started seeing that separation, a possibility happening again. And then all these dreams we were having of like, even having a dog, we're just going to have to be postponed again. And we're like, how, what more, what are we like? so much is going to get postponed and we're starting to realize like we're having so much fun together like being married and enjoying the islands and having friends and family come visit and us going to go visit them and just sharing just being so happy we're like even if one of us stays in one's going to deploy and we're going to be separated again and that just we didn't want to do that anymore and we'd put in our time you know we'd surpassed our minimum required time of staying in after the academy so you know we it was actually really tough for us because his he comes from a military family and you know I you know my mom was foreign service my grandfather was you know world chief in world war ii but we just loved we knew we were going to miss the people so much so it was really hard for us to like kind of make that decision but once we did we're like okay well let's just make sure we make something of ourselves when we get out like we're not gonna make the next the last like 10 years that we put into the navy 
mean nothing. So um, we made sure that when we made that decision to get out, that it was coming from a place of abundance rather than scarcity, like rather than missing out on something and then feeling resentful of our choice later. So you guys both got out of the military at the same time? November 2017, both of us, yep. Usually when I've talked to people, one stays in and one stays out. But I like how you talked about like even if one of you got out and one of you stayed in, there would be a deployment Mm -hmm. and there'd still be separation. And that is a reality of being in the military is you face deployments and separations. And so that it makes sense. And I like also how you mentioned that you looked at it from a place of abundance and not scarcity and just having that confidence and knowing that you're doing the right thing for you is really important when you leave the military. Yes. And I I was also learning about life coaching towards the end of our tour in uh, Pearl Harbor and learning how not just mindset, like that's such a key word now, but actually creating what you want for yourself based on the actions you take and how you're feeling about them, which all comes from a decision you make. Like I was learning that, you know, Because when I went on deployments, I did not want to go. Like I was, I remember um, my first deployment, I went to a UPS store. No, it was a FedEx store because I was going to ship something off to my husband. Kind of like, here, I'm leaving. Like you're, I'm still thinking of you. Like here's some gifts. I think it was something like that. But I was sobbing in that FedEx store. And the lady at the front was like, what's wrong? I was like, and I saw, I was like, I don't want to deploy. Like I'm going to be gone for a year. Like I don't want to go for that long. And she came around the the counter. She gave me a big hug. She's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't like, and I, now I look back and I'm like, because when I, I'm sorry, when I started the deployment, I wasn't looking forward to it. I was thinking about everything I was going to be missing out on. So I was resenting the deployment later on in the deployment. Like once you get into work, I was like, okay, this is fun. I'm actually feeling useful. I'm fulfilling something. This is really good. But at the beginning, like I could have saved myself so much pain, so much emotional, like this distraught from just thinking differently, right? If I chosen to want to look forward to something instead of feeling, instead of thinking that things aren't going to be the same when I get back and that's bad, then I would, you know, I think I would have enjoyed my deployment a lot better. And so remembering that when I was getting out, I was like, I need to, and then learning about life coaching, I was like, I'm going to take everything I've learned, everything the Navy's taught me and then put it to use, do something with it. And I feel like I've done that, but my husband did the same thing as well. And now a word from our sponsor. Is your family going to be okay financially if you die? As you prepare to transition out of the military, don't forget to look over your life insurance needs. Hey there, I'm Melissa Skur, Coast Guard spouse and experienced insurance agent. As the owner of Insure the Heroes, Inc., an independent term life insurance brokerage, I help military families past and present, as well as the general public, put together life insurance plans that fit their needs and budget. Separating from the service is a hectic time. Many veterans struggle with the decision of whether or not to purchase the SPP in the VG a lot. It's a huge decision, and the tax class don't always help. The Veterans Life Insurance Benefit should be your last resort for life insurance continuation. Plus, it's not available for spouses. Securing the right amount of life insurance is how you can protect your home front should you pass away prematurely. Remember, life insurance isn't for you. It's for the ones you leave behind. Head on over to my website at insuretheheroes.com for a no obligation quote or to book a complimentary call. If you prefer, you can dial me directly at 844-514-LIFE. Thanks, Melissa. I wanted to let you guys know that I published a book last year called Women of the Military that is available on Amazon. And if you haven't ordered it or if you have considered ordering it but would prefer a signed copy, you can email me directly and I can send you a signed copy. 
I also launched a Patreon site, which allows listeners to directly support Women of the Military podcast by giving a portion ranging from $1 up to $50 a month to show your support as being a supporter of the Women of the Military podcast. That's all I have for now. Let's get back to the show. So you took what you guys learned from being in the military and used it in the next phase. So what was your transition like from being in the military to being civilian? It was a lot tougher than we expected. I don't know, like for you, like (laughs) it's so, we did not expect to feel so alone. Like we had each other, but it's not the same. Like we're Mm -hmm. like, we need, we miss our friends. Like, cause, and you know, you've got Facebook, so you see everyone's going to Germany now. Everyone's like deploying again. They're in the next rank. And we're like, oh my God, that could have been us. And we're happy for them. And, but we were lonely. I would say me, especially cause I work from home now. And I was like, I got my, we have a dog now, but I'm like, I still feel so lonely. So we really immersed ourselves. I mean, Tennessee is huge for veterans. It's the volunteer state. We really immersed ourselves in the veteran community out here and for really for our own purposes, because we are in that family again, right? So you just have to, you know, it's like, well, listen, you just have to look at someone you recognize, like the guys still have the military haircut for the most part, right? So as soon as you like point at them, and then you point at yourself, like, and I say like Navy, and you point back at them and they say Army, and they're like, oh, hey, brother, or something like that. You know, it's like instant. It's so instant. And I worked in gyms. I was into bodybuilding. So like fitness, I had those friends, but it it was that community, like any, I don't think any other community is the same as the military, a veteran or active duty, but we didn't have that when we got out and we sought it out. And we're so like, for example, here in Tennessee, we volunteer all the time with Operation Stand Down, go to Bunker Lab events. And I remember the guy who runs Bunker Lab here in Nashville, it's a veteran entrepreneur like society that helps. And um, he said that the military loyalty complex is real. And I was like, that's exactly it. Like there is a, there is a complex, like it's a syndrome. Like there's, you, you, you need that military, not just a sense of community, but the military community, especially that it was hard for the first year, but once we started volunteering and started meeting new people, finally started that helped kind of helped us stop missing active duty and all our friends back in active duty and start really looking forward to working with the new friends we made and helping other veterans and then volunteering where we were needed. And that kind of helped us give us a, a different sense of purpose still within the military, which we liked. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And I, I just in the last year, I've started to get involved in the veteran community and I've been out since 2013. But it has like, it's that community that is just like, I always am like, it's like home. You just feel like you're at home. And like, I've had some of the best conversations this past year with obviously women veterans (laughs) because I interview them, but also male veterans who I can relate to in a way that I, I didn't think that I could anymore because I thought I lost that when I left the military. But you're so right that that loyalty and that community, it's still there. You just have to get involved and find it and find your way to continue serving. And that is really healing. Yeah. And it really like it's something hit me this week just to explain how important and significant if like if you serve how to how to actually want to keep that for yourself instead of letting it go. I was driving to it was just on Wednesday, actually, I was driving to an operation stand down. They have a, a program for men and women. And I was going to coach uh, some of the low income veteran women through their transition housing program. So I was actually going to the house that they all share and live in to do some coaching and help them out whatever way I can. Because the coaching I do is not just like 
creating new habits, but desiring to create new habits that serve you better instead of defaulting to ones that are like creating you know, results you don't want, like being overweight or over drink or anything like that. It's like actually using the power of decision and what you want and following through on that, which we all have trouble with to make something better for yourself and to feel better. So I volunteer my services to the transition housing program for veteran women. You know, and these women like enlisted in the army in the 1980s. And I'm like, how it just blows my mind. I'm like, how are you in this situation, like I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you for being like acting on that bravery to enlist. But anyway, as I was driving to this house, there was, I stopped at a light and there was this homeless man at the corner and he was walking, like I was like the second car from the light and he was like starting to walk down the side and he had this like cardboard sign with letters on it. I could barely read. Like he looked in bad shape, but he when he was approaching my car, he saw the license plate. My front license plate just says Navy with the Navy emblem on it. And he like smiled and he pointed at the license plate and he pointed at me kind of like with a look in his eyes, like you. And then he pointed at himself and then he starts coming up to the window and I'm like, and I start pointing at him and he's like, were you Navy? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I was Navy, AE, aviation electrician. And I was like, oh my God, in my car. And he had the biggest smile in his face. It's like he went back in time, right? And so for that moment, he was not homeless, right? Like that, the memory flooded him with such pride and connection already just from seeing a license plate and having the connection with another human being, like regardless of like time, like who knows when he served, like who, he didn't know when I served, but that connection was made. And then the light turned green and I was like, I looked at the light, I looked at him and I was like, okay, bye. Kind of like we caught up, but we didn't really say anything, right? Like we were still both left with a smile on our face. And it hit me. I was like, it doesn't, if you served, you have that identity in you. And it's almost like you can't get rid of it. And if you try to get rid of it, that's where you kind of get resentful and like kind of get bitter. But if you don't, you can make connections, continue finding opportunities to seek that amazing feeling for yourself anywhere. So I just wanted to share that because I was like, I just made me realize how amazing the military really is, no matter if you're still in or not. Yeah, I love that story. I was getting chills while you were telling it. So (laughs) I think it's so true. And like, I had a lot of resentment towards the military when I wasn't involved in the veteran community space. And I think, and I've talked to enough people to know that that's normal. And like, it's kind of hard when you get build up that resentment to get back into the veteran space, because you kind of tell lies to yourself about what it's going to be like. It's an amazing place to be. And I like how you said, like, you're a veteran forever. And Mm -hmm. that military part is with you forever. And you have that instant connection. Yeah. Yeah, Like I was thinking about, it's kind of like when people want to start, because I deal, I do I do permanent weight loss, right? I do mindset, nutrition, and like physiology, like human physiology, like personal training. But it's like, it's like when people want to start a diet, if they think about how horrible it's going to be, they're not going to want to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like when you get out, if you think about, you know, you're so excited about getting out of the military. If you think about going back in, in any capacity, even in the veteran community, and you attribute pain to it, kind of like you attribute pain to a new diet, think how horrible it's going to be, you're going to avoid it, right? right? So a lot of people go in thinking that way because when they get out of the military, they're looking forward to, they're paying attention to what they won't have to do anymore, what caused them pain or what they think caused them pain instead of remembering what actually made them want to join or sign up in the first place, right? It's kind of the same with like, it's the way you interpret things, the way you look at things, the thoughts you have about what you're going to do and how it's going to make you feel that will determine whether you stick with it and keep the results or not. That's so true. Yeah, that's so true. So in the in the introduction, I talked a little bit how you are a lieutenant in the Navy Reserve. So how did you make the switch from active duty to civilian to reserves or did you go active duty to reserves? No, I went straight into the reserves because I 
I was starting a business, so I didn't have any money coming in. <laughs> so I was like, I need the I need the reserves. And I don't think I was ready to completely cut ties like with the military. I was like, I feel like I need some kind of cushion. And I thought the reserves, was, you know, wasn't full on military you have duty to stand and shifts and like, you know, evals and fit reps to write and all this stuff like you do, but it's once a month, which is totally doable. So I stayed in the reserves. I'm actually, this is my final year in the reserves because business, I could, I, I honestly could see myself going down the route of the professional reservist and making the reserves something serious and a more permanent part of my life. And I was like, I want to actually use that ambition and that focus towards my business. And I really, I was having a hard time splitting both because I was spending a lot of time every week just writing orders for people. And so I was like, I'm, I want to use that time for my business. So I read an article, I think in this past week about how the reserves isn't just one week in a month, that it, it's a lot more work than people. So that's interesting that I read that this week. And then you're talking about like how it's not you had to take time away from doing your business so you could get your reserve component in because you can't get it all done in those two days over the weekend. Nope, you can't. And they tell you that, like, if you want to, especially if you want to promote in the reserves, which you can still, like, you want, you need to do certain tasks, you need to take on certain responsibilities, and you got to do, like, you know, especially depending on the size of your unit, too. My unit required at least 10 hours a week. I was doing like 15 or 18 because I was still learning. Like, you need to, the, the reason why I transitioned from the military to civilian life, even if you're in the reserves or not, is you have to start thinking differently, which means you have to start changing habits and stop, and you have to change expectations expectations. And it's hard when you don't have people telling you what to do. You have to decide for yourself what to do. And not understanding that, it, that how, much in, of, how much in control you are of that, you know, is I think where a lot of veterans suffer and then they start drinking or gaining weight because they're like, well, I just can't do this. Like, I don't know what to do. So, but yeah, in the reserves, they tell you like you, if you want to make rain, got to do certain things. And, you know, you have a smaller unit. So the same responsibilities that you do in an active duty unit, like command fitness leader and morale, welfare, recreation, all that. So it was a lot more work than I anticipated, but I still did it for two years. I, I really tried to make it work. And in the end, I realized I was like, I could make this work, but I actually don't want to. That's an important step to realize, like, which path you want to go on. And yeah. you said that the military kind of has control over your life. And it does, even though I'm a spouse, I'm well, I'm not in, my husband's still in. But, like, we don't have to make decisions about where we're going to move because we just do what they... And, like, someone I know in my neighborhood is moving from one city to another city. And she's, like, talking about how stressful it is and how much work it is. And I'm just kind of like, it's their choice. And so I feel like they kind of have, you know, a different emotional way to look at it because they're choosing to move unlike where we don't have a choice where because their job's not changing. Yeah. They're just moving to a different city to get a bigger house or whatever. With the military, it's like, it's time to go. And you're like, okay, well, this is where I want to go. But then they tell you. And so you don't have that control and you don't even pick when you go. You just do whatever they tell you. And then when you're a civilian, you do have that choice. And so it kind of changes everything. Yeah. And I've often, I've thought about this. I'm like, why is it so hard to do it on your own when technically you have more freedom, right? It's like, and I think it come. it's because of the habit that we're in. Like you, when you are in the military, you can make a decision, like you can follow orders, but you still have that validation for men and women. It's like, yes, you followed these orders well, and you didn't 
right? or you didn't do it well and here's why. Whereas when you're on your own, yeah, you have more freedom to make any decision you want, but no one's there to correct you. No one's there to say, okay, this was the right way to do it. So you're left wondering and that causes a lot of angst and anxiety for people and then they kind of can spiral into that and not know how to get out of it because they're like, I really don't know if I'm doing the right thing, why can't, can someone just tell me? And so they'll, whoever can, the closest person or the sooner they can get some kind of, yes, this is right. No, this is wrong. Then they'll feel better, but not realizing that it's really just their own thoughts, creating those feelings of anxiety that are causing them to either have a very stressful move or not. Right. So then the result, when they get to the new city or to the new like location, they're going to think the entire process was horrible. They're thinking that the process itself was what caused the anxiety when it was really the way they were thinking about it. But in the military, like there's no the stress. The only stress you have is like, OK, when can I get to the new city so I can go check in in time to my new unit? Like everything will happen. Like there's it's kind of like you don't have to think about that. So. Yeah, it's so true. That's something that the TAP class or transition assistance program, the class that you take, like the emotional piece and like that part of it, I think the military isn't doing a good job of talking about that because I've never even talked to anyone about that. What we're specifically talking about, and I'm like, it's like a light bulb moment. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I actually wish my goal is to get like my life coaching program in the Department of Defense for like every branch of service, like Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps and Coast Guard. But at the start of boot camp, <laughs> not just in tap class, because if you know how you can control situations just by the way you're thinking, like you can decide whether or not to follow orders, right? Like people do that all the time anyway. Some people don't follow orders and they go AWOL. But most of us do, right? We don't realize that it's our decision to want to do that. But if we are, if we have that kind of mental maturity throughout our entire career, I I think we'll not just stay in longer, but actually enjoy our time in the military longer. And then when we do get out, because you can't be in the military forever, when you do get out, the transition is going to be so much less painful and anxiety filled. And it, you, it may not lead to depression because, you know, you can handle it. You have that self-reliance, right? So that's that's the goal. Like I do like I would. But in TAPS class, like I wish I'd had some kind of knowledge or just like, let me know that I'm not the only one at least going through this. Like they say you're not the only one, but like you don't really believe that until you're like in it. You're well, that's like when you were like, it was a lot harder than I thought to transition. I was like, yeah, that's what everybody says, because we just aren't really prepared for it. And we and like you said, we think, oh, well, I can't be the only one, but then you don't know. And so it's important to talk to other veterans and get involved. So I have one last question for you. And it's what would you tell girls considering joining the military? Oh, I love this question. I thought about this one the most. Like I was thinking if there's any girl, so cause I was thinking about myself about joining. I was like, if someone could have told me what I'm going to say, like, I think it would have made my time so much more enjoyable. And any girl that's thinking about joining, I would want to ask them, when you think about yourself in the military, how do you want to feel? Like, how do you really want to feel? Like, do you, and think about it and think about what you'll be doing when you're feeling that way, like how you'll be treating people, how you'll be taking care of yourself, how you'll be learning and applying and, and how you, and then what that's going to create for you and how you're going to show up for yourself and for others in the military. Like, how do you want to feel? And most of the time for, I think nearly all of us, when we join, it's because we want to feel pride. We want to feel proud. We want to feel purposeful and um, fulfilled. And we want to feel strong, like, like we're doing something for ourselves because we're doing something for others. Like we wouldn't willingly sign up it's because we you know if we're feeling scared, 
like normally if we're feeling scared, we avoid things or if we feel resentful, we avoid things. So I would want to ask them, like, think about how you'll feel, how while you're while you're in the military while you're serving and then ask yourself what do you what are you believing that is getting you to feel that way right that is getting you to show up how you feel is best how you think it's going to create a result for you that you actually want for your time in service right what do you want your entire experience to mean to you so i think it would be more of a question that i would ask them instead of advice i think that can that would really help them Yeah. Sometimes questions help you to think and feel about things that you don't think about normally. And so I think an advice that's a question is a really, no one's done that before, but I think that's a really good question to ask yourself. And even after you get out, that's the same type of question Mm -hmm. you could help you in your transition as you're either leaving the military or if you've left. Yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to your experience and I feel like I've gained a lot of wisdom from all the information that you've shared and just, I really appreciate you taking time to share your story. I appreciate you for giving me this chance. Like I've listened to you and I've heard about you. I was like, I, this is like, I just want to meet her. So this is like meeting a celebrity for me. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmentomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military. 